Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us. We pray that we will receive understanding, receive instruction from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we delve into today's subject, I, w- I want to answer Pastor Robert's question that he asked at Work of Ministry Seminar. So, let's get into that first. He asked a question that, <clears throat> aside the prophets, the priests, and the kings, were there any other people anointed aside Bezalel? Because Bezalel was not a priest. He didn't occupy any of those three offices of ministry. But we realize from the scripture that he was anointed. Amen. So that's a very good question. Um, so I just want us to look at that. So I just want us to look at three scriptures to answer that. The first one, Genesis chapter 41, verse 38 to 40. Genesis chapter 31, verse oh, 41, I'm sorry, 41, verse 38 to 40. Genesis chapter 41. Yeah, so we are, we are going to look at Joseph. Joseph didn't occupy any of those three offices. right? We, we established the fact that uh, last week, Saturday, that under the Old Testament, to be anointed, you either had to occupy the office of a prophet, a priest, or a king. Those were the offices of ministry. So let's look at Joseph. And for you to understand this, if you look at the first 37 verses, Pharaoh had... Um, a, a disturbing dream and what was his dream he had a dream um, seven fat cows were feeding by the stream and then seven lean cows appeared and the seven lean cows swallowed the seven fat cows so that that's sort of a puzzle so the, the, the butler who was a former prison inmate with Joseph he remembered Joseph and he gave recommendation that there is this dude in prison who can interpret dreams. So um, based on that recommendation, jo- Joseph was called and he interpreted the dream as there was going to be a crucial 14-year period in the life of Israel. The first seven years are going to be years of prosperity and plenty, followed by the next seven of farming. So Joseph says that choose a wise and a discerning man who will be able to lead Israel during that 14 year um, period. So let's read from verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this? A man in whom is the Spirit of God. That's anointing. So last week, I was, what's anointing? Anointing is the Holy Spirit. Anointing is not oil. That's why we answer the question, can you be anointed without oil? The answer is yes. Can be anointed without oil. So now look, then Pharaoh said to, Je- to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So the anointing placed Joseph to be next in command to Pharaoh. That's the anointing. So don't, don't limit anointing to only church. Pulpit, doing worship, church work. Anointing can also help in corporate world, if I should say so. Because this guy, it's the anointing. 
that really jumped him. Someone who was a prison inmate with probably an index number, 33467, index number. But the, 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 the anointing jumped him from that orange suit, wearing an orange jumpsuit, to becoming a prime minister. So we, that, that's Joseph right now. So we see that Joseph was not a priest, he was not a prophet, he was not a king, but he had the anointing upon his life. Second scripture, Numbers chapter 24. Verse 1 to 2. Now, this scripture is going to talk about an interesting man called Balaam. Or some people say Balaam. Well, um, Balaam was one of the chief messengers of the king of Moab. And the king of Moab at that time was called Balak. And if you read your Bible carefully, Moab and Israel, they never really got on well. Um, and if you read your story carefully, Balak was sent by no Balaam was sent by Balak to go and place a curse on Israel. The Bible says it didn't work. He went with the donkey and then he met an angel and then you know his his donkey even became a talking donkey. That can even be a movie. Verse one and two. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, so there's the messenger of the king of Moab. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He did not go as at other times. All right, so now he, he had a change of mind because he had a divine encounter. He met and he met, you know, the, the donkey talked because the donkey saw an angel with a sword. He didn't go at other times to use sorcery. So he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Anointing. Not oil. So anointing. So Balaam was anointed. And then when you read from verse 3 going, you will see that Balaam now began to speak um, words of blessing upon Israel. And why was he able to speak that? This is someone who uses sorcery. Someone who worked for the king of Moab. What changed this confession from now incantations and enchantment to now speaking blessing upon God's beloved is the anointing. So we see here that Balaam didn't occupy any of those three offices of ministry, but he was anointed. Let's look at the third scripture. I want to give three because the Bible says by the mouth of two or three, everywhere is established. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 20. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 20. Now, if you look at the context of this story carefully, um, Saul had sent messengers to go and persecute David. That's it. So David was on the run. And why? Because he had killed Goliath. And then, you know, Saul tried to kill David by throwing a spear, but David dodged and never got him. So when he ran, you know, the servants were still after him. So it was a very tough time for David. But look at what happened. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, and someone standing as a leader. So prophets were able to prophesy because the spirit of the Lord was upon them. Anointing. The anointing was not, not oil. The anointing. The Holy Spirit. And the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. Under the Old Testament, you can't just prophesy. You have to stand in the office of a prophet. Today, 
every believer can prophesy. And then to, today in the New Testament, there is the gift of prophecy and then there is the office of a prophet. Under the Old Testament, there was nothing like the gift of prophecy. You actually had to stand in the office of a prophet to prophesy. If not, then the anointing is what will help you to prophesy. Like Saul, even when you read Saul, Saul also prophesied because the spirit of the Lord or the anointing came upon him. So these are the three scriptures. So Joseph, Balaam, and the messengers of Saul, they all experienced the anointing of God upon their lives, even though they didn't occupy the office of a priest, a king, or a prophet. Amen. Now let's move on to the meat of our study for today. You know, this anointing message really got me thinking a lot. And uh, I don't know. Maybe one of these days we have to tackle it again. Because um, so many things out there. Like what Pastor Robert asked, a very pertinent question about walking in another man's anointing. I think under the New Testament, we have to encourage everybody to walk in the uniqueness of their calling. All right? Don't walk in another man's anointing. Don't. It's not scriptural. It's not. Amen. You will not receive an anointing from me. You know what I mean? Never. You will never receive that. Walk in the uniqueness of your anointing. Walk in the uniqueness of your call. Amen. Because today I was thinking of Stephen and Philip. These were bread sharers. You know that? They, they were deacons. Their job was to share bread. Just share bread to the widows. Did they walk in the, in the uh, anointing of Peter? Because Peter was the senior pastor. Right? Peter was the senior pastor. He was the apostle. They walked in the uniqueness of their call and their own anointing. They didn't walk in purpose anointing. You know, they walk in the uniqueness of the anointing. And they did, they did mega things. Look at Philip. Go and read this. Uh, Acts, what he did. Look at Stephen, what he did. They walked in the uniqueness of the anointing. A true New Testament minister will direct you to Christ and will want you to walk in the uniqueness of your anointing and sharpen the grace of God that's upon your life. When you read 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He didn't say be strong in my anointing or be strong on the anointing which is on the house. No, be strong in the grace of God you have received. Amen. So that's very good. It's, it's got me thinking a lot. So I'm sure one day we'll tackle this. Anyway, let's move on to the meat of our study for today. And uh, today we want to talk about meditation, right? So in our contemporary society, our adversary, the enemy, he majors in three things. Noise, hurry, and crowds. This is it, you know. Noise, you know, noise pollution. <laughs> We always talk about um, global warming. And global warming is as a result of environmental pollution, right? But the, the, I think the, the people say that the deadlier pollution is noise. There's too much noise around us. Cell phone notifications, that's crazy, like, you know. Thank God I've disabled all my <laughs> notification apps. Uh, I know, so my phone is always silent. If I don't go into the app, I don't know I have a notification. It's you know, too, too buzzing. And people like noise. And sometimes it's not a blessing, right? Uh, hurry. 
Today we are even impatient at the microwave. Can you believe it? We are impatient at the microwave. <laughs> we are so much in a hurry. Patience is a lost virtue. It's like someone who was praying, Lord, I want patience and I want it now. What a prayer. You are praying that you want patience. I want patience and I want it now. <laughs> what an oxymoron. Patience is a lost virtue. Even, even, even sometimes I get trapped in the in the in the in the in the hurry syndrome, especially when you are driving, and then you move to the left lane, and then I'm like, oh wow, today my devil has come. He's using a red car. How can you be doing forty on the left lane? You know, and it's like you are just stuck there. <laughs> you know, so hurry, it's, it's a problem. We, we, we want it quick. We want it quick. We are impatient. You go on Google and you have up, and the page is not uploading. You get impatient. You know, hurry. And number three, crowds. You know, the virus, this pandemic, one of the things that it has brought us, you, we can't gather. And that bothers people. So the reasons why, you know, cases will continue to spike because... We all like crowds. We like gathering. It's important. It's, it's healthy. It's healthy for human existence. But sometimes the enemy can use these things to entrap us. And one psychiatrist, Carl Junk, he, he said that Harry is not even the devil. Harry is not of the devil. It is the devil. So sometimes we have to watch these three traps. With that in mind, that is why we need to go back to recreate the culture of silence, the moments of inner contemplation, so that we'll be able to fight against these three enemies, the enemy of hurry, noise, and crowds. Because it's come to stay. You can never buy, you have to learn how to live with this. Cell phone notification is not going to reduce anytime soon. You, you have to find a way to live with it. Noise. You have to find a way to live with noise pollution. It's come to stay. Hurry. It's come to stay. I'm sure maybe 10 years from now, they will, they will invent something that is even super faster. It's come to stay. What are you going to do about it? The luxury of speed. Crowds. It's come to stay. You know, this pandemic, it will pass. Every pandemic from history comes and it goes. So this pandemic, whether we even pray or not, it will pass. The problem is we are all in a hurry to know when it will end. But it will end someday, one day, and crowds will gather. So this is, but you have to learn how to live with these things so that you don't become entrapped in these things and your life becomes disturbed, your life becomes crowded. For this reason, we have to learn how to create the culture of silence and moments of inner contemplation. And that's why we are going to talk about meditation tonight. So let's go to our scripture text. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. I read, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Amen. So, 
the Bible actually uses two Hebrew words for meditate. And I'm, I'm going to go, go to them. The first word which is used here is Hagar, which is H-A-G-A-H. And it, mean, it means to moan, growl, utter, muse, meditate, devise, plot, or speak. Okay, to moan, to growl, to utter, to muse, to meditate, devise, plot, or speak. You know, there's a scripture in Psalm 2 verse 1. It says, why do the heathen nations range? Why have they plotted a vain thing? You know, that word plot there is, is the same Hebrew word here. Why have they meditated a vain thing? So, um, that's it. All right. Um, so, from this scripture, we see some things from Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditation makes the word of God the sword of the spirit in your mouth. The sword of the spirit is in your mouth. We are talking about the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is not this. The sword of the spirit is the words from this being in your mouth. That's the sword of the spirit. That, that's how the sword of the spirit works. So if it's not in your mouth, it's not the sword of the spirit. You understand? If it's in your mind, it's not the sword of the spirit. If it's in your heart, it's not the sword of the spirit. It has to be in your mouth. The word shall not depart from your mouth. So meditation sharpens the word as the sword of the spirit in our spiritual armory that we can use against the devil. A typical example is Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. When the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus used the sword of the Spirit. The first temptation, he said, Thou shall not, um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by everywhere, excuse me, thou shall proceed out of the mouth of God. That was Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. The second, the second temptation, to go to the pinnacle and then throw yourself, and the devil also quoted a scripture, but that was not the sword of the Spirit. He said, you throw yourself for he will send his angels who will protect you that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus quoted the scripture again to him, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then the third temptation, he said he took him to the highest pinnacle of the mount. He said, look at all the glory, the riches, and the kingdom. If you bow down, I'll give it to you. And he quoted again, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So, suffice it to see, could it be possible when Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he might have been meditating on the book of Deuteronomy? Because all his answers were from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapters 8 and 6. These are the two chapters that Jesus used to defeat the devil. And that is the sword of the Spirit. So, when we meditate, the word of God is near our mouth. And we speak it forth and it becomes an offensive weapon that will do damage to the kingdom of darkness. So meditation makes the word of God the sword of the spirit in our mouths. One thing that I also realized in this scripture is you experience the benefits of meditation if it is consistent. He says, but you shall meditate in it day and night. 
It's talking about consistency here. If you want to harness the power of meditation and of its benefits, it has to be consistent. Anything that you want to experience, the power, the benefits of, you have to make sure that it's consistent. Have, have a regular schedule. Don't, don't be erratic with it because otherwise you will not experience the power and the benefits of meditation. The third thing I see here is the purpose of meditation. The purpose of meditation. That you may observe to do according to all that is written. So what's the purpose of biblical or Christian meditation? It's the purpose of observing to do. Observing to do. That, that, that's all. So you meditate on the scripture so that you, you, you will give legs to any portion of the scripture you are pondering, musing, or thinking over. The purpose of Christian meditation is to obey the word. Now, how do you know that you've meditated? Until my life embodies that verse, I haven't meditated. Because the purpose of meditation is observe to do. So, who can give me, someone should give me just a popular memory verse. Any popular memory verse that comes to mind. John 3.16. John 3.16. Okay. For God so loved the world. Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So now, when you meditate on this scripture, your life has to become that scripture. If it becomes that scripture, one, it means you are the recipient of eternal life. And number two, because you believe that scripture, you will go out and evangelize to people and they will give their lives to Christ. So meditation also gives a sense of conviction. So if... if these purposes are not coming forth out of your time of meditation, then you've not meditated enough. We have to meditate to bring the scriptures out of the pages of the Bible to life. We meditate so that we will observe to do. We are not just observing, but we are observing to do. Amen. Then it says something. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So meditation makes one prosperous and it will make you have good success. In fact, when you look at the Hebrew meaning of the word prosper, it has four definitions. It means to make progress, to advance, to succeed, to be profitable. So when we meditate, we make progress. We advance, we succeed, and we become profitable. And then on top of that, we will have good success. So meditation has everything to do with your welfare. Amen. Let's look at the second scripture. Genesis chapter 24, verse 63. Genesis chapter 24 verse 63 I read 
And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked. And there the camels were coming. You know, Isaac's wife was coming. You know. <laughs> they had, you know, those days it was interesting. You would just be in the house, then they'll go and look for a wife for you. So when he lifted up, his wife was coming. They are, they are bringing his wife. I don't know if I would have enjoyed that time. Amen. <laughs> I'm glad I chose myself because I chose the best. Amen. I wonder if I was, they had to choose for me, they would have brought me what I like. Amen. But, but that's what happened. The camels were coming. But, you know, um, the first scripture we read, uh, meditation um, has a point of contact. You need something to meditate on. That's the Bible. During Isaac's time, the Bible was not written. It was nothing like the Bible. Right? The Bible was written in Exodus chapter 20. When the Ten Commandments were given. Like, that's where it started. But from Genesis 24, there was nothing like Bible. So during Isaac's time, you knew God by what your father told you. That's why God, God says, I trust Abraham because he will, he will command his servants and his children and this whole house to serve the Lord. So what Isaac knew about God was remote. It's what his father had experienced. That's what he had told him. So when you really look carefully into this, into the, there's a, there's a lexicon called Hebrew child lexicon. If you look at, at it, the commentator says that this was a form of prayer. It was a form of prayer and it was a form of worship. So it will also be safe for me to say that meditation can also be a form of prayer or a type of prayer is meditation. So what was Isaac really doing? Isaac was probably just worshiping the Lord and probably praying. In fact, what they normally use here is worship. It's probably he was in the open fields just worshiping the God of his father. So meditation is a form of prayer. Amen. And what was Isaac doing? He was fostering communion between him and the God of his father, Abraham. That's why later the Israelites, when they were praying, they would say the words, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I, I think one of the ways Isaac also was able to foster relationship with his father's God and then translate that to his sons and Jacob, and of course Esau, because Esau also knew God, was through this practice of worship. It was meditating. And when you look at this Hebrew word there, it's also interesting. Um, shuak, but it spells differently, S-U-W-A-C-H. It means to meditate, to muse, to commune, speak, complain. So probably Isaac was doing that. So there's the only time this word appears in the Bible. So between Joshua chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 24 verse 63, the word appears 26 times in the Old Testament. And when you join these two words together, by implication, they carry the meaning of listening to God's word, reflecting on God's work, 
rehearsing God's deeds and ruminating on God's law. Have Ghanaians here, chew and pour. That's ruminates. <laughs> to ruminate something that's to chew and pour. Mindless memorization. Amen. I don't remember many of my subjects. That's very bad. Seriously, I don't. Because I just did chew and pour so that I'll pass. That's I, I don't remember many of them. Amen. So to muse. So that's what Isaac probably was doing. Was ruminating thinking on God's law. So, when, when we meditate, we listen to God's word. So, that's the implication. What's the implication of Christian meditation? Listening to God's word. Number two, reflecting on God's work. You know, David did that. He says, when I look upon your handiworks, you know, sometimes reflecting on God's work is a form of meditation. You see nature, you think about it like, wow. So that's meditation, reflecting on God's work. Or even reflecting on God's work in your life. That can also be meditation. He has protected you. Throughout 2020, you you never became sick. You are here. Reflect upon it. That can be a form of meditation. You know, just thanking God. Like, wow, I started with some people and they are not here. You know, you are reflecting on God's work. So you can reflect on God's work in the form of nature. You know, you look at the majestic splendor of creation or what God has done personally in your life. Rehearsing God's deeds every now and then is good. Psalm 103, I like that scripture. It says we should bless the Lord and we should forget not his benefits. And he listed it for us. He forgives us of our sins. He heals us of our diseases. When you rehearse God's deeds, you are meditating. So in this month of February, we can all rehearse what God has done. We have four more days and then we wrap up this month. We can rehearse in February. What has God done in February? Okay, even if he hasn't done anything at all, he has given me life. That alone I should be grateful. It's not done anything for me. I have health. We rehearse God's deeds. And we ruminate on God's law. Chew and ruminates here. It, it it pictures the cow. You know the cow. That the, the cow. The way the cow eats is interesting. It swallows all the grass. Swallows. It doesn't chew the grass. Then at night, it will regurgitate the grass and to start to chew. So the grass does its eating at night when everybody is asleep and you hear the grass chewing. <laughs> I just swallows the grass the daytime and then he regurgitates and chew. And sometimes that's how the word is. You take the word, you think about it, you ruminate it in your mind, then you speak it forth. It's similar to just like what the cow does. Amen. So that is the, the, the practice of meditation. So Christian meditation fosters communion and fellowship between us and God. If you want to be close to God, one of the best practices is to practice Christian meditation. And we've realized Christian meditation has a point of contact. The Bible. You have to have the Bible. You do that. Don't be in subspace. Have the Bible. That should be a point of contact. 
Or meditation can be a form of prayer. And think can be quiet. You can think of what God has done for you. Sometimes you don't even have to pray. You can just play me, me, worship music and then just think. Sometimes it's not always that you have to speak in tongues. Or just start shouting. Sometimes just quietness. No. You, you observe the vocabulary of silence. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 7. It says that there's a time to speak. It's a time to be quiet. And sometimes meditation puts us in that zone where we can be quiet and, and think. Amen. And it, it also helps us to practice the, the virtue of patience because meditation is a form of waiting on the Lord. You are practicing the virtue of patience. Amen. So now, based on this now, let's talk about two strong misconceptions on meditation. Two strong misconceptions on meditation. The first strong misconception of medica- meditation, I'm sorry, I nearly said medication. Meditation is medication too. Amen. It's medication. Every mistake is a new style. Meditation is medication. Amen. Yes, it is. Christian meditation is the same as Eastern meditation. That's, that's a, a strong misconception. So sometimes when you talk to the average believer about meditation, oh, I'm, I don't want to practice that Buddhist stuff. You know, there are some people who even think that, wow, why are you preaching on meditation? It's an Eastern practice. It's, it's, a, it's a Buddhist practice. It's a far Eastern practice. There are people who think like that. There are people who think that when you teach this, wow, you are, you are bringing new age philosophy into the church. It's a strong misconception. And it's one of the reasons perhaps the subject of meditation doesn't come up at all. But Christian meditation and Eastern meditation, they are mutually exclusive. They are not even in the same bracket. You can't compare them to the same bracket. Why do I say that? Eastern meditation is an attempt to, to, to empty your mind. That's what Eastern meditation does. You empty your mind. You have to lose your individuality and your personality and, and believe in the impersonality. You know, you, you, of Nirvana. Nirvana is a, the, 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 the height of perfect quietude, perfect solitude, perfect freedom, perfect peace. Empty yourself, empty your mind, empty toxic thoughts. You know, this Eastern meditation. And somehow, it works for them, Okay. Some of the most peaceful people are Buddhist because they practice meditation, but it's different from Christian meditation. Christian meditation, we don't empty our mind. Okay? We rather fill our mind. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So if you're a Christian practicing biblical meditation, you have to have some feeling. You have to have some richness. You are not emptying your mind. You are not emptying your mind. You are not emptying your mind. You, you are feeling. You are feeling in something. So it's different. Eastern emphasizes on emptying. Right? Christian, we emphasize on feeling. That's why we read the text, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. 
That's meditation. He's not emptying his mind. He's rather filling himself. Excuse me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So there's, there's an admonition to all of us. The word of God has to dwell in us richly. And one of the avenues by which the word will dwell in us richly is when we take some few minutes of our day and spend time meditating. The word has to dwell in us richly. And when the word dwells in us richly, that's what will happen. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You become a worshiper. So one of the effects of Meditations, you become a worshiper. So you, sing, you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You make melody in your heart, singing grace in your heart. So meditation also makes us a worshiper. And that's why I, I really agree with the context of the Hebrew child lexicon on Genesis 24, 63. It's, 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 it's probably that when, when Isaac was meditating, there was no Bible. He was probably Worshiping the Lord. Amen. Let me read this. I even forgot. So let me read Genesis 24, 63 in um, Amplified Classic. You know, there are two types of Amplified versions. There's the AMPC, Amplified Classic, and then the Amplified. Let me read the AMPC, Amplified Classic. And Isaac went out to meditate and bow down in prayer in the open country in the evening. And he looked up and saw that, and behold, the camels were coming. So you see, so amplified classic, meditate and bow down in prayer. So what the lexicon said was correct. He was worshiping. When you read the amplified version, the amplified version just says, Isaac bowed down in prayer. It didn't even use the word meditate. It, didn't even, it just says bow down in prayer. So that's also a form. So wherever we are meditating, don't empty your mind. Don't, don't empty your mind, okay? Uh, the end goal of, of, of Eastern meditation is detachment. The end goal of Christian meditation is attachment. In Eastern meditation, you have to empty yourself of your toxic thoughts, let go of all the confusion of the world, and then detachment. That's it. There is nothing like, I want to be close to God. There is no attachment. The end goal is detachment. Detach yourself of toxic energy. Detach yourself of confusion. Detach yourself of the calamities of the world events and everything. Detachment. That's the end goal. Christian meditation we strive for attachments. So that's one of it's the two main differences between Christian meditation and Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation focuses on emptying the mind. Christian meditation focuses on filling the mind. The end goal of, Christ, of Eastern meditation is detachments. The end goal of Christian meditation is attachments. We, we can't detach. We can't just empty ourselves and walk empty. You know why? Luke chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. Luke chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he grows through dry places seeking rest. 
And finding none, he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last date of that man is worse than the first. Alright, so in physics, there is a law that nature abhors vacuum. In the spirit world too, there is no vacuum. You, you, can't, you can't just practice that form of meditation that you are emptying yourself. You, you have to fill yourself with something. So, Eastern meditation is an avenue where people are filled with evil spirits. <laughs> yeah. But when you say this, you know, people are going to be all arms about But that's the truth. You are filled with evil spirits. And that's why I, I will never advocate people to practice yoga and other Eastern-related forms of meditation. Because on the surface, you would think it's bringing peace. Because empty yourself. But when you empty yourself, feel yourself. Feel yourself. You can't, based on this scripture, there is nothing like an empty spirit. There is nothing like an empty spirit. There is nobody walking on the surface of the earth who has an empty spirit. You are either filled with the spirit of God, you are filled with the spirit of the world, or an unclean spirit. It's just, it's just plain and simple. So I don't. So personally, for me as a Christian, I will never advocate Eastern meditation. I know some Christians who even practice yoga. I'm like, why? Why do you want to practice yoga? It doesn't bring peace. You need to meditate more. You can buy the yoga mat and sit on it with your Bible and meditate on the scripture. Don't practice yoga because you are emptying your spirit. And what are you going to fill it with? I, I don't want the Holy Spirit to leave me even for one second. I need the Holy Spirit with me. He should be ever present with me. The Bible calls him. He is the seal. He has sealed me until the day of redemption. I need him with me attachment when we do christian meditation the attachment is we become closer to god we sense that fellowship we sense that presence of god we get to know god more in a deeper in an intimate sense amen the second misconception that it's too difficult when you mention meditation it sounds difficult so the first misconception is, is the same as Christian meditation. So I hope today when someone comes up, when you tell someone I meditated, I hope you'll be able to explain to them, hey, there's a difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. The second misconception is, it's difficult. But some people think you need to be a spiritual guru because today when we talk about meditation in a secular context, you sort of have to be a guru, sort of have to be a monk, you know, somehow to practice, excuse me, these type of um, sacred rituals. But not so. Not so. Born again is the only criteria. Meditation is as easy as drinking water. Period. You don't need to be a guru. You don't need to be anything. You don't need to be a monk. You don't need to have some heightened sense of spirituality. It's simple. It just requires time, availability, willing heart, and mind. That's all. Time. You need to make time. 
you need to be available a willing heart and mind amen so now let's talk about preparations then i'll end here our wow, time is gone okay let's talk about preparations then i'll end here all right i'll end with preparations so number one have a specific time make that time i talked about hindrances dealing with hindrances to a personal quiet time the first hindrance time it has to do with poor time management make time schedule if you don't schedule you will not do it you will not do it meditation can be anywhere from let me just give five minutes i pray i read my bible i think and let me give you clues maybe like what am i thinking about what does the scripture say so you read the scripture what does the scripture say that's meditation what does it say Okay, I, I, today I, I took my devotion from Judges chapter 16, verse 25. What does the scripture say? Number two, how does, this script, how does this scripture apply to me? Think about it. How does this scripture apply? Now, when you think about it now, it will force you to think. That is meditation. And number three, what one action plan can I practice today out of my morning devotion? Because that's the, that's the importance of meditation observe to do the purpose of meditation is observing to do so always end with what one action plan can i implement today from this verse i just took you through my that that's what i normally do that's only it's always three questions there's one thing to do that's it that's meditation amen so have a specific time number two have a pen Bible and notebook. A pen, Bible, and notebook. You know, with the Eastern meditation, they just go with the yoga mat, and that's it. You you are different from an Eastern dude. Have a pen, Bible, notebook. Meditation has to have a point of contact. This you have to fill yourself with the Word of God. If you are not doing that. Then maybe spend time praying, musing, be quiet, wonder, sanctified imagination. You can do that. A pen, Bible, and notebook is necessary. In your times of quietude and solitude, God is going to speak to you. It's easy for you to hear from God, you know. People think it's so hard and difficult to hear from Make time. You hear from God. If you don't believe me, ask Pastor Chris. Pastor Jessica, Pastor Robert. Or is it because I use pastor so you think you have to be a pastor? Not necessarily. It's very easy. It's very easy. Don't let titles deceive you. It's easy to hear. Just make time. That's all. The only difference between you and the person who said that, the Lord said to me, the only difference is that that person has made time. Make time. Make time. God, God will honor you. God will honor you of your request by faith if you make time for him. Number three, should be done with little or no interruption. That's about meditation. So you have that discipline. Maybe for five minutes, I just want to think on the scripture. Well, sometimes Christians, we don't do that. We just read the scripture and we go. So you ask, and you, you will not be able to even explain the scripture. You don't have an action point. You read a scripture on forgiveness, but what did you take out of that forgiveness? 
are you going to say that I am going to forgive? I'm going to forgive that person. Maybe I've had a graduate for 20 years. I'm going to forgive. You know, so you have to be practical. Make time. Should be done with little or no interruption. Number four, learn the power of solitude and silence. And let me read this scripture in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. Learn the power of solitude and silence. You know, it's a discipline. Sometimes it can be very uncomfortable to be silent, but it's a discipline. Let's learn it. And, and just take it in bite size. Five minutes. Let's try five minutes. That's all. You know, don't even try 30 minutes. Maybe you're not used to. Just try maybe five minutes. For, for verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. You know, that there is strength and confidence that comes from being quiet in the presence of the Lord. You know, if you read the scripture in context, the Lord was rebuking the Israelites for putting their trust in Egypt, putting their confidence in Egypt. And Egypt was a sworn enemy of Israel. You know, but the Lord was telling them that if you would have just put your trust in me and meditated on me, I would have been able to have saved you. So that, that's the whole context. If you read it, that's the whole context. So there is, there is power in being quiet and having that solitary moment with God. Amen. And then number five, do it at times with Christian music. Psalm 22 verse 3. God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. And we are Israel. When, when, when you read that scripture, when you see Israel, don't think of a nation. Think of covenants. God inhabits the praises of his people. We are in covenant with God. So sometimes music can also help. Listen to good music. Amen. And I'm done for tonight. I've got seven minutes on the clock, so open the floor for questions, contributions. Maybe God said something to you about we were teaching. Let's flow. Amen. God bless you. All right, floors are open. It was it was very good. I I liked it. Um. Uh. I uh. As I you know you're talking about meditation. I just kept thinking about like when you're uh, rewiring a car or you're rewiring bad electricity in your house you know if your house has bad electricity you could either burn down your house or the lights won't come on so um, when we are meditating on God's word we are basically taking out the bad wiring mm. you know be it from our experiences somebody something that somebody did to us, um, how we grew up, what culture, traditions, all that. And so when we um, meditate, we're taking out those wires, cutting it, and then connecting it properly. So that's just something that I was thinking about as you were teaching. Amen. All right. God bless you. That's powerful. I like that. Thank you. 
have two things. The first one is I think I missed um, some three major things. Um, you said noise, hurry, and I missed the third one. Crowds. Sorry. Crowds. And then um, on Bushwick's top one, verse 9, this week I was thinking about the verse. Says that you should meditate on the word of God day and night. I mean, it's only occurred to me that day and night actually means every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The right way to interpret a scripture. It's. I mean, it just don't mean that when it says day on day and night, it was actually telling him that you should do it. Something that you should do always. Is that a good way to interpret that scripture? Yes, it is. It is. It talks about consistency. It is. Would we also be? Would it also be considered meditation if, like, let's say, um, let's say we heard something during Bible study or Sunday service or some teaching, and we keep thinking about maybe something that a teacher or the pastor said, or just thinking and we're thinking and we're thinking about it? Would that also be considered meditation? Yes, it is. Scripturally speaking, it is meditation. Because when I was given the English definition, you know, I mentioned one word, muse. So you are musing or you are pondering. And that's meditation. Yeah. So our meditation is different. We are not in subspace. Yes. Empty mind. I'm trying to empty. We are at a feeling. Let me read the scripture. I think it's in Philippians. Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Other versions use the word think on these things. So that's that's meditation. That's how we meditate. Fill our mind. We don't just empty the toxics, the confusion, the pollution, and then detach. We gotta fill. We don't remove our mind. We renew our mind. Amen. Be transformed by what's renewing, not removing. Okay, don't remove your mind. Renew it, sanctified imagination. Amen. Okay, who has anything else to say? Got a minimum on the clock. The only thing I can say, everything was understood. I'm the word of God. Amen. And read the Bible and this is a good Bible study today. Amen. And and thank you, God, for the Bible study. And God bless you to give you the ability and the wisdom of the Lord. Amen. Let them say, Amen. 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 Thank you. All right. One final thought. So who can tell me just in one word what you've learned today? Just in one minute. And then we pray and close. 
Om Lash will say something. <laughs> Who can say something? We have just one minute, so anybody should just speak so that we'll close. Western meditation and Christian meditation are two opposite things. They are not the same. Amen. All right. Amen. Okay. All right. Father, may we mix this word with faith so that it will profit us. I pray that as we've heard this, may it not just be information, but may it be transformation. May this word affect our conviction. May it affect our hearts. We pray that from today, may we make time to meditate on your word, fill our mind with your word. May we dwell richly in your word, that we will have a rich worship experience. May we become worshipers, O Lord. We thank you that as we practice this sacred act of meditation, may we think on your works. May we think on what your handiworks, just like David said. We thank you that every blessing associated with meditation will be accessible in our lives. And it will take our Christian experience to another level. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so next week I'm going to talk about the power of meditation. So today I spoke about the discipline of meditation. Next week we'll look at the power of meditation, the benefits. So that's where I'll spend time to really talk more about the benefits of meditation. Amen. Thank you all for attending Bible study. God bless you. Love you guys. See you on Sunday. Good night. Bye. 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 Bye.